All right, if you have a lectionary, your job is to open it up and look at the beginning where there's a calendar, kind of a calendar. It gives, day, it gives the month and then gives a lot, list of things under each month. Look for the 27th of December, which is today. Tell me what you discover when you find it. Hey, it's Feast for John. What page does it tell us to turn to? 817. 817. And which John is this? Do we know? Nope, this is John the Apostle, or quote-unquote, John the Evangelist. All right? And the readings are, according to the lectionary that we have here in front of us, reading one is 1 John chapter... 1, verses 1 through 4. The psalm is Psalm 97. And the gospel is John chapter 20, verses 2 through 8. So it's a day set aside to remember John. So we could do a kind of a little biographical study. We could do something along those lines. I had lots of ideas. But then I read 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we will figure out where we are headed this evening. And hopefully it will be beneficial. Hopefully. We will see. We will see. First John chapter 1. All right. Obviously we know First John chapter 1 is a book that sparks much controversy. Does it not? It sparks much controversy. We got the controversy because uh, this is a book that's a go-to book for, say, those who hold the lordship. And then it, but then those who don't hold the Lordship look at it from a completely different perspective. So you've got one book, multiple mil, you know, millions of Christians who have literally no agreement on it, right? And we also have the controversy. Um, if you look, go to 1 John just really quick, just an added a little extra bonus controversy. If you go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it's just thrown in for extra. This is free. 1 John chapter 5. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Tell, say amen when you're there. All right, we read these words. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. What's the controversy with that verse? Most people believe it doesn't belong there, okay? Uh, admit, uh, some translations, it's not even there. It's, it's not there in any way, shape, or form. There's much debate in church history about its existence, okay? There's all kinds of textual arguments. There's an entire story about how it ends up in the text and all kinds of debates. But a lot of people look to that because that's like, that would be the go-to verse to prove which doctrine? The Trinity. And yet we can't really use it because, like if you try to use that uh, on a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, they're coming back at you fast going, you obviously don't know your Bible because... Yeah, yeah, the NIV doesn't even have it, yeah. Most, most translations don't. And how it ends up in the King James is this entire story. Um, I think in the back, there's a little commentary on 1 John by James Montgomery Boyce. And he's got an entire section on it. And I'll never forget, because I had that commentary, and I'm at my church in Papillion, Nebraska, and I asked my pastor, hey, would you read this section? Right, because I'm like... What is going on? Because it was a KJV-only church. And he, he looked at it and said, 
basically, so what does it say? And I give a basic summary. He's like, I don't read garbage. I'm like, oh, well, thank you for your wonderful help in helping me figure this out. Because basically, if it didn't agree with him, it was garbage instead of like, let's work through this historically. So, uh, so that's another controversy in it. But we're, gonna, we're not going to look at all of those controversies because we've talked about First John. We've even worked through First John, right? So what we're going to do, the reading for the lectionary gives us four verses. Four verses. Those four verses is verses one through four. I'm going to read it. And you're going to tell me what jumps out at you. Are you ready? Here we go. There's no wrong answers, but there's only one right answer. Okay, all right? I'm joking. Here we go. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the, his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now there's a lot of things you could look, point to, but for you, Personally, what jumps out at you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, these are people who've seen, touched. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely important. Some people will point out that this seems to be an immediate response to Gnosticism, and we see it right here, which could be a hermeneutical clue in how to interpret the entire book, which is a polemic against Gnosticism. Not necessarily, it's, if it's a test, it's a test against Gnosticism. Okay, but all right. Uh, we turn into, but for us tonight, one word. There's one word in those four verses that we're going to focus on. One word. Nope. Nope, that's a good try. It's a good try. The word is used twice. Fellowship. We're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to try to understand fellowship because that word has a lot to do again with how some people interpret the entire book of 1 John. All right? We approach 1 John as a polemic against Gnosticism, right? And that the test was really a test to see have you embraced Gnosticism or not, right? We, we kind of looked at it more along those lines. Other people say this is a book not about salvation. It's a book about fellowship. And they draw a distinction between those two. Now, before we approach this, and I don't know, how, I don't, we're going to kind of just work this together how we typically do. We'll, we'll stumble through it. Let's just take a minute just to remember something. This is very important. When you become a Christian, you enter into a world that has its own language and its own vocabulary. Correct? And meaning is assigned to those words. Now, depending, that this is very important, pay attention to this. The average person sitting in the pew, in many cases, don't, they don't really maybe have a reason. They don't really too, be too bothered. They kind of accept the language and how words are used and the meaning that everyone just accepts that they have, right? However, if you are going to pursue deep theological study, 
you find out that in theology, words matter immensely. Not only do they matter, you need very specific and exact definitions of them. In fact, if you start studying church history, we found out that obviously words really matter, right? Remember the Greek word about same or similar? Homo uesusius and homo iusius, however you say them, right? Okay, right? That, that what, it was basically a one-letter difference, and that divided the entire church. Because words matter. But in the average congregation, you just kind of come in, and this is what Christians say, and you just kind of find yourself doing what? Adapting the language. And even if it's not theologically precise, no one really cares too much. In fact, they may even get irritated if you try to correct it. Go, I don't know if we should be saying that, right? They're like, ah, you're just being all picky and you're taking it too far. And you're just like, okay. So then you just kind of, and sadly, some pastors are not so careful. How many times have I listened to sermons from churches that claim to be Trinitarian and then say something like this, the Trinity is one God who manifests himself in three different ways. Well, the minute they say that, they're not Trinitarian. They're modalists. And then when you email them or tell them, they're like, whatever, and they just blow you away. I don't care. Well, you should care because you just gave an ancient heresy. Language matters. Now, for us, if we're even remotely honest, the word fellowship, typically means what when it comes to the evangelical Christian world? A get-together. A get-together. Right? And you get together to do what? To eat. So getting together to eat. It can be in the church. can be outside the church. can be at someone's house. can be at a camp out. can be anywhere. As long as you get together and have a little bit of fun, fellowship. And we say it in very like reverent tone, right? It's fellowship, right? And if you are someone who's like, I have no desire to go hang out and play reindeer games, then they'll be like, oh, you, you've got a spiritual problem because you don't like fellowship. And you're kind of like, whoa. I didn't realize getting together and eating and talking about the weather was that of great spiritual significance. But you will be told quickly, it is of great spiritual significance. In fact, you will be told by some, if we just come into church, study our Bible, and then just leave, something's missing. We need something more. We've got to get together and do what? Fellowship. Because there's no spiritual growth without fellowship. So, we're going to spend a little time tonight trying to figure out what fellowship is, what it isn't, but most importantly, this is, this is the question. I'm not saying we're going to come up with the answer, but I want to at least put forth this question, right? Not even going to put forth a hypothesis because that would tell you I'm going in a certain direction. But here is the question. Is fellowship and salvation the same, or are they different? Now, that would focus on fellowship, not in getting together, eating. Immediately when I use it that way, we know we're using fellowship in a way not about getting together and eating, right? Everyone understand? We're talking about a different kind of fellowship. In other words, let me say it this way. 
can you be not in fellowship and be saved? Now that immediately assumes that they are two different things. So you know what we need to do. Everyone grab their Blue Letter Bible app or whatever app you use. Type in the word fellowship. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the first and last. We're going we're to follow little Schofield's idea, right? The first and last. And let's see how it's used. Oh, he does. Okay, theme, fellowship. So Schofield went with a fellowship theme for First John, all right? That's your 1986 one, all right? Fellowship for the entire Bible. We'll just, we'll just go the entire Bible. Part of me wanted to just look at New Testament. It's not used that many times. 16. Now, we, we've, we've handled 3,000 references. We can do 16. I mean, come on. It may only take us a month, but we can do so. All right, so let's do this, all right? Our job tonight is figure out what fellowship is and isn't. What's the first reference? Whoa, we're going all the way back. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 2. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do my best to get, we're going to finish this tonight. And we're going to have every answer you've ever wanted on this subject, right? If you believe that, you know I'm lying. Okay, all right, here we go. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor, and that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor. Now, basically, this thing, this is the trespass offering, right? And this deals with trespass offering and restitution. So basically, if a soul commits a sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor, and that which was delivered unto him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor. In other words, if you've committed some of these things, there's going to have to be an offering, there's going to have to be restitution. I'm trying to summarize it so we don't get too off track. Well, that, that's, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, how that references. How does the NIV read there? Look in the NIV and see if it clarifies it. You're right, it, it does read a little weird there. Okay. Leviticus 6.2. All right, let's, we'll, we'll take a look here and just see how I didn't bring my uh, other Bible. Okay. Yeah, Stacy, Stacy doesn't like that Bible, but that's okay. All right, do So I think the idea is that you're in some kind of relationship or agreement and then and you don't take care of something. Yeah, I think there. I think that's what it's referencing. Okay. Oh, this is Hebrew words only use one time. And what is the meaning of this Hebrew? Well, what does anybody want to say the Hebrew word? Okay. Pledge security. So basically, you've made a promise to keep something. You made a pledge. You've made a promise to keep something. And obviously, something happens to what you are supposed to be taking care of. And so now there's going to have to be some kind of restitution because you've lost it or destroyed it or something along those lines. Okay. So that doesn't give us a lot of insight about fellowship, does it? 
kind of just play. In fact, you, it, the NIV doesn't even use translate it that way. So I don't know if that helps us a lot, okay? Maybe there's, you could talk fellowship as some kind of an agreement maybe, but I, I don't know. All right, what's the last usage? 1 John 1, 7. All right, now we go to 1 John 1, 7. Let's see if we get any help here. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All right. Now, does the NIV use fellowship there? 1 John 1, 7. It does? All right. What is the Greek word for fellowship here? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, is, the important, this is the important word. This is the one that's always spoken of. All right. So I'm going to pull this one up because this is the one everyone references. This is... Yeah, right. I think this one, this one is used a few times, and this is the one that everyone references, right? Entire sermons have been preached on this Greek word. Like, this is the, this is the Greek word when it comes to it, all right? So we'll go to 1 John 1, 7. Okay. All right. But since we're doing first and last, we'll go here, all right? Here's fellowship. It's this Greek word. You've all, you've all heard it at least once. Strong's G, 2842. Koinonia. 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 All right. Koinonia. It is used 20 times. Koinonia is used 20 times. It's translated fellowship 12 times, communion 4 times, communication 1 time, distribution 1 time, contribution 1 time, and to communicate 1 time. Koinonia is, uh, Strong's definition is partnership, participation, or social intercourse, all right? benefaction, uh, communication, communion, distribution, fellowship, basic ideas, all right? Outline of biblical usage, fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, intercourse, the state which one has uh, in anything, participation, uh, intercourse again, fellowship, intimacy, the right hand as a sign and pledge of fellowship and fulfilling the apostolic office, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, and exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. All right? Now, if we just take that word, right? We're not even going to look at it in the text right now. What would you kind of derive from it? What, what would you kind of, if you try to summarize what exactly it is, and like if you were trying to summarize it in a simple way, it's got a, somewhat of a broad range of meaning. Some of them would be outside the way we would typically use it as distribution or like, you know, we wouldn't really think of it along those lines. But what would you kind of see there? Okay. 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 Something you share in. Okay. But it seems to be an intimate kind of thing. I think, I think Bob, Bobby, it does seem, seemingly really trying to describe the intimacy of it, does it not? Grab a Bible dictionary real quick and let's see if we get any more. So first and last gives us not a lot of... Insight. Maybe, I don't know, I was thinking of some different ways. All right, everyone grab a Bible dictionary and just look up the entry for fellowship. I don't think it's super long. 449, I'm going to grab that dictionary. I've got two dictionaries up here. Three paragraphs? Okay, that's, that, that shouldn't take us too long. 
then we'll go through some of the usage of the word in Scripture. We've looked at two already. All right. Fellowship. All right. This is how they describe it. This is their simple definition. You ready? Sharing things in common with others. In the New Testament, fellowship has a distinctly spiritual meaning. Do you see that? They say the New Testament has a very distinctly spiritual meaning. All right. Um, it says fellowship has a uh, fellowship can be either positive or negative. Positive believers have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as well as with others believers. The only reason why we dare to have fellowship with God in the sense of sharing things in common with Him is that He has raised our status through the death and resurrection of Christ. What believers share in common with God is a relationship as well as God's own holy character. Those who have fellowship with Christ should enjoy fellowship with other believers, a communion that ought to illustrate the very nature of God Himself. Negatively, believers should not have fellowship with unbelievers. This means they should not share in unbelievers' sinful lifestyles. This does not mean, however, that believers should not have uh, they should have nothing to do with unbelievers. The Bible plainly teaches that believers are obligated to help unbelievers and share the gospel with them. Still doesn't give us a lot, does it? Other than it, they try to make it, it's spiritual. I think it, do you think it still carries the idea of some kind of an intimate thing? I think it kind of does. I think it, it's not going to answer our ultimate theological question about fellowship and salvation being the same or different. Maybe it offers a little bit of insight there. Oh, but we'll come back to it. and we'll, So keep the dictionary nearby. We'll come back to it. Let's just go ahead and finish this up because we can do this relatively quick and then try to find some better answers. All right, let's go now. We, the first reference was in Leviticus. Where is the second reference now going in order? Psalm 94.12. Oh, 94.20. I apologize. 9420. All right. Psalm 9420. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee which frameth mischief by a law? Is it the same Hebrew word? Or is it a different Hebrew word? Is it different? Can be allied with. Okay, it's a different Hebrew word then, okay? All right, let me go to Psalm chapter 90. All right, we have a different one. Okay, and which Psalm was that? 94. Okay, I got the completely wrong Psalm. I'm like, why is this not making any sense? All right. It's not there. I'm like, the Hebrew word does not exist. Okay, all right, here we go. It's a number. That is true. All right. Shall have fellowship with thee. It's really the entire phrase, and it's this Hebrew word. Strong's age, 2266. Chavea. Chavea. All right. Uh, It's used 29 times. It's used for couple, join, couple together, join together, compact, charmer. Charming with, have fellowship, league. Uh, Strong's definition is to, to join literally or figuratively. Uh, 
charmer. It's got that charmer thing. Couple together, have fellowship, heap up. It means to unite, join, bind together, be joined, be coupled in league, heap up, to unite or be joined, to unite with, to unite, to ally with. And that's why the uh, NIV translates it ally. It's the, and so what is being said here in this psalm? Right. Right. So it's it's showing that there is a distinction here, right, between then God and that which is, you know, sinful, right? Can there be fellowship between the two? And the answer is what? No, there cannot. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee? The, the answer is not. So this is the idea that you can almost argue then that this it just shows something in common. There's got to be something there. For there to be fellowship, there has to be something in common. Okay, is that a good, can we state that? Was, is that fair? If there's going to be fellowship, you have to have something in common. Right? It, being in close proximity to one another does not make fellowship. Okay? There's got to be a closeness. Not close in proximity, but a closeness in something that is common. In other words, you could have four people in the same room partaking in food. That does not make fellowship. That just makes eating. Because fellowship at least seems to be going for something much more deeper than that. Now, you would hope, if it's two Christians, you would have the deeper connection. But I'm saying, that doesn't always play out. And, and we, we, can, we can have, because, because unless you're talking about that thing, you may find out you have no other fellowship in any other thing. But let, let's see how this plays out. That doesn't help us a lot. It gives us some kind of maybe things to work around. But let's, let's move to the next one. What's the next reference? Okay, now we jumped already to the New Testament. Then that makes it quick. All right, and now most of these are going to put us in a, a context which we can probably better understand it. All right, Acts 2. All right, here we go. Yeah, koinonia, right? It's going to be the same Greek word, I think, most of the time, right? Here, here we go, Acts 2.42. Speaking of, really, the early church, you go back to 40, 41, and they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day. They were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. Now, this is where we get into a lot of discussion, right? This is where fellowship gets associated with eating. Right? Gets associated. Now, what is the breaking of bread? Probably the Lord's Supper. And that's where you would have fellowship, right? When you walk through the door of a church, what, what do we, we have, we may have not a thing in common outside church. But you walk inside the church and all of a sudden we have something in common, right? Why? We're opening up a Bible. We have that in common. We're going to be looking at the same text. We have that in common. We're going to be seeking to understand it. We have that in common. We're going to sing the same songs. We have that in common. We're going to be praying at the same time. We have that in common. And if we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're partaking of the exact same elements, remembering the exact same thing, the death and blood of Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. 
Everything then is in common. Therefore, we are in fellowship. It's we- isn't it weird that churches say, let's have fellowship by going somewhere else to have a meal? What did we just do here? The fellowship is this. That's always weird. Like, we need fellowship. We just had an hour of church. That's an hour of fellowship. Because this is, that's the, that's the whole thing the church is supposed to, like, the church never lives up to the ideal. And I understand why, because we're sinners. But if you think about it, this is something that's supposedly so different about the church is you got individuals who may have zero in common. Different race, different background, different gender, different everything. And can walk through the door and then instantaneously something in common. And that is this. But it's weird that when people say, well, we need, we need fellowship. I'm like, what did we just do for an hour? And nobody can ever answer that question when they complain that there's no fellowship. I'm like, what did, what, what did we just do? What they want is, they want friendship. Well, friendship requires definitely something in common, okay? It <laughs> definitely requires something in common. Fellowship from a spiritual standpoint only requires what to be in common? Christ and coming together right here. Does that make sense? All right. But that still doesn't answer my ultimate theological question, right? All right. My ul- I don't know if we're going to get an answer with my ultimate theological question. All right. Next. 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom ye were called in unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Greek word is that? Koinonia. Once again, it's the same Greek word. Now, what kind of fellowship is this referring to? Let's really think this through, put our thinking caps on. Let's work on this tonight. What's this is referencing? All right. Yes, I mean, it seems to be, if you go back... Right? Um, where 1 Corinthians 1 is, is, is verse 9, right? So we go back to six, or 7. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also conform unto you, or confirm unto you, or you un, into, unto the end, <laughs> yeah, I can get it right, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called in, unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're called into the fellowship. And what, what is this fellowship that they're referring to here? I think that we're called into, just think about it, before salvation, do we have fellowship with God? No, no fellowship with God. We're called into fellowship through whom? Christ. Because in Christ, we can be declared to be, remember, according to the psalm, there's, no, there's not going to be an agreement between sin and God, right? But here we're called into, unto, I think it uses the word unto, I keep wanting to say into, unto this fellowship, but it's because of Jesus Christ. Right? So now clearly fellowship is connected to salvation. Now the question is, 
Are they just completely synonymous? Or the idea is that in salvation, I have fellowship with God because now I am made, I'm brought unto it, right? So I don't know if that helps us a lot, right? But it's there. I'm going to read it one more time. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. None of these verses really articulate. You're just kind of left with trying to figure it out based off the definition of the word, right? It's not giving me a lot of insight here, right? But we'll, let's see if we can get, gather more, All right? Next. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. I'm hoping we stumble upon some verse that just like, oh, we now understand. All right, here we go. See, I don't know if this is going to be super helpful. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, we'll go back to 16 for context. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one, uh, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now this is showing that we're coming together for what purpose here? This is the Lord's Supper, Right? So this is, this is the one meal that Christians can come together and truly have something in common, right? Um, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we're all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices. Part, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this again. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now he's kind of going after, remember they've had this issue about offering meat unto idols and all these things. Okay. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with the devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils you can uh, not be partakers of the Lord table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So in other words, do not have what? Fellowship, intimacy, closeness, partaking, or something in common with devils. We can understand that, right? We're not to seek closeness and intimacy with that which is opposed to God. I think we can agree. That's, that's pretty simple. It's not super helpful, but it, it's at least helpful in at least understanding that much. All right, what's next? 2 Corinthians 6.14. All right, the same concept here is going to happen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 13. Now for, now for a recompense, and the same I speak as unto all uh, to my children... Be ye also enlarged, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. All right? Once again, is this the same Greek word? Same Greek word? Yes, no? Oh, it's a different Greek word. Okay. Got to look this Let's look this one up. Hang on, give me one second. I'm glad I mentioned it. I'm, we, I was going to proceed as it was, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think it is. That's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 
chapter 6, verse 14. Thank you. Chapter 6, verse 14. All right. All right, the only place it's used. All right, here we go. We'll see if we can get any, any help here. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Unequal yoke. Here's the fellowship. It's this Greek word. This Greek word, if I can play it. Strong's G3352. Metache. 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 And it's used one time. It means intercourse or fellowship. Participation. Same basic meaning, right? A sharing, communion, fellowship. And what should we not do? Share that with an unbeliever. Oh, interesting. All right? So, uh, so in this passage, the, the same... It, yeah, what communion? That's koinonia. And then this has this Greek word. Okay. But the concept is, is plain. What, should, what are we not to do? We cannot find that intimacy, that closeness with an unbeliever. We should not be able to. Why should we not be able to? Because sooner or later, there's going to... Look, if, put it this way. You've only got two options in that case. If you're going to come together, right? And this, typically, and this is typically used for marriage, right? But because, don't be unequally yoked. It's a yoked relationship. It's a bonded relationship. And what's going to happen? Well, if... If you have two people, right, and if one is a believer and the other one isn't a believer, if the believer really is serious about their belief and really serious about their faith, at some point there's going to find out what? We don't have this no longer. We, we don't have this in common. You, you care about it, they don't care about it. You believe in it, they don't believe it. You're pursuing it, they're running from it. So sooner or later, either they've got to turn around and come your way, or you've got to turn around and go their way, or you're going to go two separate ways. So it makes sense. But it still doesn't answer my theological question, right? But it does tell us that, the, again, this is a, I think this is, a, this immediately shows you, not, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, do not have communion, do not have fellowship. It's telling you this is more than just some casual thing. Fellowship is something more than a casual get-together. I don't know. It's almost we cheapen the word when we reduce it to that. The, the, for us, the highest level of fellowship or intimacy can't be leaving here to go to a park and do a picnic. The highest level of fellowship is when we sit here and we do this. And we're like, hey, let's work on this tonight. Let's study this tonight. Let's struggle with this. Let's figure this out. We may agree, we may disagree, we may struggle, but let's work on it. I may misread every verse like I am tonight, but well, let's, let's, work, let's work through it. And then we try to figure out and, fit, and, and try to come to some level of an understanding. That is spiritual intimacy. But for some reason, it, it's confounding to me when a Christian will say, but we need something more. And I'm always like, So you, you so downplay the fellowship of God's word and you so elevate getting together, drinking a Coke and eating food. Like, that is weird to me. Like, I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand that at all. That makes no sense to me. Because, I, because in most cases, or at least for me, most cases I'm like, okay, well, this is great. 
And usually the people who want the fellowship is, they want the fellowship as long as we're talking about what they want to talk about. And it's kind of like, I, I don't get it. Like, it just it downplays what this really is supposed to be. Well, let's see if we find anything else. Next verse. So a lot of this is in 2 Corinthians, it seems, huh? All right, 2 Corinthians 8, 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Same Greek word? Yes, which one? Kononia, okay. And this, this is focusing on which aspect? Distribution. This is the giving, the ministering of the saints, right? So think about this way. True fellowship for believers is, I, I'm going to, now it's not been mentioned, but this is what I'm going to put forth. I'm going to put forth this argument based on kind of where we're going. Because even the, even the Strong's definition in the outline of biblical usage is saying this is a spiritual intimacy. And Bobby even picked up, it kept using words of intimacy, intercourse, intimacy, right? So it's something close, right? So here's what I think. True biblical fellowship is when we come together around his word for study, right? I mean, that's an intimate thing. We're opening up God's word. We're working on it. We're studying it. That, that's an intimate thing, right? Okay. Second, when we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, it literally said, we, we are many, but we become one bread and one cup, right? And that, what verse was that? First Corinthians, which verse was that that talked about that? Someone can find that reference because that may be a key verse here. Says we are many, but we something like we become one bread, one cup. I don't want to uh, totally destroy the verse. Let's see if I can find it. It's like two back that we just we covered. We just covered it. Like a, is it six four? Yeah, it, it says that we are many, but we become one bread, one cup. We just read it like about five minutes ago. First Corinthians, okay, Bobby. Okay, there we go. Everybody see it? First Corinthians ten seventeen. Everyone write that one down and like circle it 17 times, okay? All right. For we being many, everybody see that? For we being many are one bread. Everybody see that? Okay, yeah, that, that's a very important verse because that carries it. So, biblical fellowship is where we come together around God's word. That's an intimate, there's like a, an intercourse there where we're coming together to partake of, of scripture. When we come together for the Lord's supper and when we come together to give. They came together to give so that it can be distributed to those who are in Need. The church gave. Now what's, I want, okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble. But this, this, is, this to me is fascinating from a church history perspective, or especially American evangelicalism. When we come together around scripture, what typically happens? Disunity. When we come together around the Lord's Supper, 
the, the modern evangelical church typically goes with an open communion or a closed communion, which actually causes possible disunity because you may even have people partaking who are not even saved. That, you, you've got to fence the table if you want the unity, right? Some people say, no, 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 no. That creates disunity. No, because we cannot be in common unless we are in common, right? And then typically if you're like, hey, hey, we're going we're gonna to help someone over there. They need $1,000. Almost instantaneously, someone in the church will be like, uh, no, no, not so sure about that. Well, then immediately, what does that happen? So isn't it weird that the things biblically that should be unifying, where we should be one, are disunifying, and we've reduced fellowship now. Let's get together downstairs, you know, in the, in the fellowship hall. The fellowship hall. Isn't it interesting the place that's called the fellowship hall is the place where the teaching doesn't take place? So the fellowship hall where we go shove food down our throats to feed our physical appetite is called fellowship. But these other things, we don't have fellowship. They bring disunity. Like someone needs to stop and really look at that. I've never heard that preached, but I'm going to preach it because that's what I'm seeing as we're putting this together. If spiritual fellowship is the spiritual thing, it's going to be around the Word, it's going to be around the Lord's Supper, it's going to be around giving. But those are the very things that produces disunity in the church. So what we've done is, hey, we won't call the sanctuary the fellowship hall. We won't call the preaching of God's Word fellowship. We'll call fellowship when we all put our Bibles away and we go downstairs to pick up a fork. Then we have, there's rarely arguments during fellowship. Amen or oh me. I mean, I don't know what to do there. I think think we should all be a little bothered right there, right? Okay. Next use, next, we're going to get close to finishing this out. Galatians 2.9. We're going to follow the same idea. We're going to get something better, something new, something exciting. James 2.9, or James 2.9, Galatians 2.9. I'm looking at the word James there. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Fellowship here is what? Which Greek word? Koinonia. And what's the idea here? This right hand of fellowship. Hey, we have... Hey, we have something in common. You believe what we believe. God has worked in your life. You know what I'm saying? That it's, it's, it's unity. Now, we could almost hint at this being theological unity, right? We could go there. We won't right now. We'll just say this is obviously a kind of spiritual unity, all right? Next, all right? Ephesians 3, 9. Right? Ephesians 3, 9. Everybody there? And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. What word is that? Koinonia. What in the world is it talking about here? Does anybody know? Does anybody have any idea, any speculation, any guesses? Anything you've got, here's your chance to throw it out. 
What do you think? Okay, what word does it use? Yep. Huh. Okay, administration. And the, the, Greek, uh, the Greek definition for fellowship, was administration a part of it? Koinonia? I don't remember. Was there administration or something that would sound like administration? I don't have it open in front of me. But, I mean, is there a concept there? Any concept? Association? That's not super helpful. It uses distribution. So is an administration a distribution of the... Is it a revealing? Because how would we understand that? And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Is this the kind of the revealing of this mystery? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know why they kind of chose. I don't. I put it this way: I don't think we can gain much insight from fellowship here. That's what I'm going to argue. Agree it or disagree? All right, we're going to agree. Right now, with those online who start emailing me, go ahead. But for now, I'm not going. I don't think I'm going to be able to gain a lot about fellowship from here. Right? Okay. Next, next passage. Ephesians five eleven. Okay. Do we get something better here? Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, so Ephesians 5.11 gets back to a concept that we know and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And this is which Greek word? Koinonia. So, all right, we got this. We don't have to worry about this one. Hey, we don't have fellowship with the works of darkness. We don't have intimacy, closeness with it. We're supposed to reprove it, not engage in it. Next. Oh, wait, oh, is it a different Greek word? Oh, Okay. All right, I'm glad you checked because I was going with the assumption, assumption that it was. All right, let's go to Ephesians. Okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to play it here. All right, uh, 5.11. All right, pulling up the antilinear and have fellowship. It is this Greek word, yeah. Yeah, good luck pronouncing this. Strong's G, 4790. Sukoinonio. Sukoinonio. Sunkononio, okay, yeah, all right. Use three times. Have fellowship with, communicate with, be, parta- uh, be partaker of. It's the idea to share in company with, to, to participate in, to communicate. Same kind of concept, to become a partaker together with others or to have fellowship in a thing. It's a lot of these different kind of words, but they're all basically the idea. It's coming together, togetherness, closeness, partaking in. It's, it, there's, a, there's a closeness here. All right? Next. Philippians 1.5. Oh, I think this deals with suffering, does it not? That was Ephesians 5.11. Okay. All right. This is Philippians what? 1.5. Is it this suffering one? Does it talk about suffering? Oh, no, but it does not. Okay, I pray. All right, uh, Philippians 1.5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Which Greek word? Now, that fellowship is they're participating in the gospel, supporting the gospel, maybe giving to the gospel, all right? So, they're, 
partnership with. All right, so let's do this. So far, we have outlined kind of what this uh, fellowship is, right? So far, we've said fellowship is really coming around God's word, partaking of the Lord's supper, and giving. Now, this would be partnering in ministry or partnering in the gospel, where you're coming together to support it, to encourage it, to help it. Now, everybody wants to talk about fellowship, going and getting a bite, but then they are not helping or encouraging in the church. Well, anybody can go eat, do something more than eat. All right? This is being partners, supporting, helping. Churches need that, right? You got to have that. Okay, next. Philippians 2.1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, okay, fellowship of the Spirit. All right? That's which Greek word? Koinonia. Does NIV use fellowship there? Philippians 2 1. All right. This, okay, so this is being united with the Spirit. Okay, there it is. Okay. So it's fellowship, unity, partner. It's, it's kind of a connection with the Spirit, together, partnering with. All right. Next, Philippians 3.10. Yeah, here's the one I was looking for. All right, Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This is the one that nobody puts in fellowship halls. All right? Now, this, which Greek word is it? Koinonia. This is, now, are you ready for this? Here we go. You're ready. Are we outlining this? I know we're almost out of time. We're not even going to get to the theological question, but that's okay. Fellowship is, I, I'm going to argue, it's a spiritual intimacy around his word. It's a, it's a spiritual intimacy as we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a spiritual intimacy as we come together to give. It's a spiritual intimacy as we partner together for the furtherance of the gospel, for the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And it's a spiritual unity as we fellowship or partake in his sufferings. Nobody talks about that. We don't want fellowship and suffering. We want fellowship around barbecue. Amen. All right. Next. And now we're, we're down to the last ones, right? Now we're down to the last ones. First John 1, 3, which says, that which we have seen, heard, declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. All right, this is the idea of having fellowship. Once again, that's, and it, that's the Greek word kononia, right? Yes? Okay, yes. So it's this idea, hey, we want you to have fellowship with us, to be united with us and about Christ. And then what, is it, what does it connect that to? And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Meaning, our fellowship with each other is connected to someone we could argue dependent upon what? Based on our fellowship with God. 
So the fellowship of believers is predicated, built upon our fellowship with God. Now, this still didn't answer the question. Is fellowship and salvation the same thing? It did not answer that question. And have we looked at every reference? Oh, one six. Okay, we have one more. Okay, I thought we had them all. Oh, oh yeah. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now this would say our fellowship with one another is dependent upon what? Our walking in the light. Correct? All right. We could add this to it. Still doesn't help us. Now, I, I don't have time to get into it, but I'll just, and, I, and this is why you look things up, right? I, I, today, I don't know how many, I have multiple articles saved here on my iPad, and I was going to go to some of them. They've got this entire theology of fellowship, and we just looked at all the verses. It's been hard for us to develop a clear theology on fellowship, has, is it not? And as a partnership, we've talked about some of the different ways it plays itself out. But we don't really have a clear, because the word has just been hijacked and just used in the most common way, and we don't even think about its spiritual implications. We call things fellowship that I don't even know meet this criteria. We call a part of a building a fellowship hall, where the real fellowship hall should be right here in the sanctuary, where we partake of the Lord's Supper, sing hymns, and, and study his word, and take up an offering, right? That's where the fellowship is supposed to take place. But we so, I hate to say it, we so despise, I know Christians will get mad at me saying this, we so despise that in our flesh that we have transferred fellowship to the most fleshly thing and removed it from its most spiritual meaning. But when it comes to this question, here's the question. So I'll, I'll just, all I can do is just put this out here. I can't, I can't do anything else with it, but you can work on it, all right? I hate doing that to you, but that's okay, all right? Here's the question. So, you become saved, right? You're a Christian. Now, we would say at that moment, we enter into some kind of fellowship with God, right? right? Because now we've been declared righteous and holy. So we've now entered into an intimate relationship because I am in Christ, Christ is in me. There's an intimacy there, right? Now, we can immediately talk about that intimacy first and foremost as a positional intimacy, Right? I didn't do anything about that intimacy. God's the one who declares me holy, perfect, righteous, a new creature. That I have nothing to do with that, right? But I'm walking w- with God, per se, right, in my practical life. And guess what happens in that practical side? I sin and I sin and I sin. And it seems to be that when we sin, there can be a problem. There could be a conflict. So if I'm sinning, Can I no longer be in fellowship with God practically but still be saved and be in fellowship with God positionally? Now, the question is difficult because in most of this, the fellowship talked about here is dealt with which kind of fellowship? Well, it's kind of dealt, most of the scriptures haven't kind of dealt with our fellowship with one another, right? Some of them have dealt with God. But it doesn't really explain, doesn't explain much, right? Don't, be, don't have fellowship, uh, don't be unequally yoked, 
right? We have fellowship in Christ. It kind of talks about that, right? I mean, you can go back and look at the references, the scriptures we just looked at. Acts 2, that was fellowship with what? Yeah, okay, that's about the church, all right? Then the next ones were in 1 Corinthians. The first one dealt with, okay, now there, there's kind of possibly with God, right? Okay, next. Okay, no, fellowship with devils, okay, next. Okay, that's about the unequally yoked one, right? Okay, next. Distribution of gifts, okay. All right, so that's it. Well, Corinthians has the one about us being, yeah, we're many, but we now have one bread. We're one body, yeah. So, okay, that's us, okay. And then that took us to Ephesians or Galatians. Okay, the right hand of fellowship. Okay, that's people again. Ephesians. We, we didn't really know what to do with that one. And then next. Okay, no, no fellowship with unfruitful. Next. Okay, partnering together in the gospel. And then fellowship of the spirit. There's kind of a God kind of connection there. Then fellowship in suffering. And then we're in First John. So really, we don't have a lot to go on. See, when you just look at the scriptures, isn't it amazing the theologies we can create with the, the few scriptures? The scriptures don't really make it clear. See, uh, see, what I wanted to do, I've got all these articles about the distinction between fellowship and salvation. Some people are like, no, 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 no. Salvation and fellowship are basically identical. If you don't walk in the light, do good, do God, then you're not saved. Your proof of salvation is how good you are, and that is your fellowship. So they're going to merge the two. Others will say, no, 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 no. See, if you're not walking in the light and you walk in darkness and you sin and you do this and do this, it hurts your fellowship, but your salvation is secure because it is based off what Christ did. So then they draw the distinction between the two. And then everyone argues and screams and fights and backs and forth and back and forth. But when we look at the scriptures, can we really draw any such distinction? I mean, we, we just spent an hour. None of those scriptures are going to help us, are they? Oh, you think so? Now, the meaning of the word. Yeah, now, now, if we take the meaning of the word, clearly, that's speaking of intimacy. And I think intimacy with God practically can definitely be damaged, where positionally it's not, I can't damage it because it's not based on me. So I can make it feel, I, but I'm extrapolating, right? In other words, I don't have any clear verses that's going to help me here. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. So you're saying that these verses at least would not make us say fellowship and salvation are identical, but salvation brings about fellowship. Yeah, because we've got to have something in common. Right, right. But the reason I have fellowship with God is not because of what I do, what Christ did. Now, if they try to connect it to something we do, which they're going to do in that verse that we just read about light and dark. See that? What, verse 6? Is that verse 6 in First John? Yeah. They're going to say, well, there, see, therefore you have to walk in the light, and then that proves your fellowship. But the only problem with that is, Look, we're, ne- we're always going to be in some level of darkness in our walk, are we not?
Oh, clearly it has something to do with Gnosticism, right? But I'm saying remove the Gnostic argument. I, a lot of people try to approach it that these tests are about our fellowship with God. And if we don't do these things, we're not in fellowship with God, but we're still saved. They turn the whole book as a test on one's fellowship, where others turn it into an entire test for one's salvation, because some draw a distinction between the two. I don't think the book is going in either of those directions. I think it's better, best to understand as a polemic against Gnosticism, right? But you see why some try to draw this distinction. There's a, like, this is not like, I'm not making this up. There's entire books written on this. Like, this is a major theological issue. So everybody understands, if we, if we separate them, what's the benefit of separating them? You can be saved and not in fellowship. If we put them together, what is the benefit? You can throw a lot of people out of the kingdom of God, right? Oh, you do this, you do this. You're not in fellowship, meaning you're not saved. So you were never saved or you lost your salvation. Do you see those radically different approaches to the concepts? I like the concept much better that I can be out of fellowship with God, but I'm still saved. Because if I merge the two together, then my fellowship and, and my salvation is dependent upon what then? What I do or don't do. Now, they would say you don't do it in order to get it, but you have to do it in order to prove that you have it, which means I have to do it in order to keep it. All right, so that's just, that's just plain semantics. If we separate them, then it works really well, right? Hey, that person is clearly not in fellowship with God anymore because they're doing all these things opposite to what God would want. doesn't mean their salvation is touched because that is based off what Christ did. The only problem is looking at the word did not really lead us to any definitive conclusion. Does that make sense? That's the reason we did that. I could have just came in here with the articles, right? I got an entire article right here in front of me with, the, with this title. Let me pull it up. What is the difference between salvation and fellowship? When a young baby is conceived, the parents consider that new life to be their child whom they look forward to meeting once the child is born. They have entered into a parent-child relationship that cannot be broken as long as each one lives. Similarly, when a person trusts Christ as a Savior, the Lord gives them spiritual life and a new relationship has begun. But as many as received him to them gave uh, the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. The eternal God has become the new believer's heavenly father. This relationship cannot be severed because the spiritual life God gives the believer is eternal life. Salvation results in a relationship with God that is shared now and for all eternity. Fellowship means communion Sharing in common, since only the believer shares the very life of Christ, eternal spiritual life, unbelievers cannot have fellowship with God because they do not have a relationship with him. They have no spiritual life. Though the believer's relationship with God or secure, our fellowship can be broken. And then they show, they try to part show the difference. Now, guess what they don't do? They don't work through all the references to the word fellowship, okay? <laughs> right? They don't bother to do that. Because if you go through all the references, it doesn't sound like this article. If we go through all the references, it seems much more focused on what? Don't, ha- don't be fellowshipping with the wrong things. And what are we to fellowship with? Remember, around the word of God, because it's a spiritual intimacy around something in common, the Lord's Supper, distributing, giving, okay? okay? Partnering in the gospel and suffering. And our fellowship then with one another is dependent upon our fellowship with 
Christ. And that's the basis of it, which is important, right? Because if we probably, as individuals, probably have very little in common. In Christ, we have this in common. That's why the fellowship hall is the sanctuary. Because here, we talk about this. Everything in common. Once we walk out this door, once I'm getting ready to stop, and you're all going to be like, amen, because it's after time. But at that point, we may not have anything in common at this moment, but at that point, then maybe we have something in common, maybe we don't. But it's irrelevant, because we just had an hour plus of fellowship. And so when someone says we need to go have fellowship somewhere else, they're, they're literally undermining the fellowship that you literally partake of in church. Which to me is a massive problem. But if you partake, you speak of it that way, everyone gets upset with you and get mad and like, you just don't like people. No, I just realized that I have fellowship here, not there. And that's not, it, it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't have fellowship there. <laughs> it doesn't make you a bad person. Right? The fellowship is, we just had it. But they always say, we need more. I wonder why we need more. Because you're not satisfied with this. You long for something else. Go get something else. I don't think that's what the Bible's ever talking about. All right, we'll stop there. Lord God, we come for you this evening. Lord, help us always to search your word out for what a word means and avoid what everyone tells us it means because we sometimes find that things are not as clear or as exactly as we are told. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,